back to In the Queue. I'm your host, Andrew. And I'm your co-host, Phil. And we are here to talk to you once again about movies. Mm, yes. Every kind of movie that you can imagine. Even bad uh, movies. Even bad movies, uh, <laughs> which we make it into today. Uh, when we talk about the new film written by, directed by, and starring the inimitable John Turturro. Yes. Who in this film is maybe not quite as inimitable as he has been in the past. Yeah, and I think if anybody tried to imitate this John Turturro, they would um, really be just going down a, a very wrong, fruitless, lame path. Um, but we'll get into that <laughs> later when we talk about the film. That was, that was that, man. You clearly have some strong feelings about this film. Uh, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Sorry, folks. Well, before we get there, before we find out what those strong feelings are, we should tell you a little bit about us. You can find us online at inthequeue.com. That's in-the-q, the letter Q, that is, dot com. And that is our blog where you can find all of our blog postings as well as all of our uh, podcasts actually posted there. You can subscribe to us by RSS feed if anybody still uses those. <laughs> I'm, not, <laughs> I'm not sure people do, uh, but you can if you want to. You can also find us on iTunes at uh, In The Q. That's Q spelled out, In The Q-U-E-U-E, Film Conversations with Andrew and Phil. Right. And you can find us at that same name on Facebook where we also post all of our podcasts as well as any supplemental materials. We'll sometimes mention those in our podcasts, things that we think would help you Better understand the film or humorous asides that we might make, all kinds of yeah, stuff. Yeah, stuff that sort of puts the film in a certain context to sort of see it uh, maybe in a sort of a broader, more fleshed out way. Yeah, yeah. And, uh, and we also invite you to go to our Facebook page or go to our blog and uh, participate in the conversation. Give us suggestions of how you think we can improve the show, uh, what you think we're doing right, as well as any suggestions of films that you would like to have us review. That's right. We're currently working our way through a list of films uh, from one of our listeners, and we're going to be doing a number of those shows in the coming weeks. Uh, so, yeah, we'll, anything you would like to hear us talk about, we'll talk about, and uh, as long as it's readily available for us. Yeah, yeah, we definitely take requests, as Andrew said. So, yeah, uh, give us a visit at one of those locations, and uh, we look forward to hearing from you. Yeah. So, without any further ado, let's talk about Fading Gigolo. Yeah. <laughs> As I said, this is a film written by, directed by, and starring John Turturro. Uh, and it, it reeks of a pet project. Probably something that was tumbling around in his mind for few years you know i would just go ahead and stop uh, you at, at it reeks <laughs> i think we don't even need to finish that sentence uh oh i just thought in in oh, the most man. blatant the most blunt way to say it i just thought this was a really lame movie that as you said andrew it's it's the brainchild of one john Turturro, who is an actor that i really like and have liked for a long time and i just feel like this was a this was this film just really did not need to have been made wow Wow. Well, to bring you up to speed on the film itself, uh, the film concerns this man named Fioravante, which is John Turturro's character, works in a flower shop, 
and uh, you know, spends his day just sort of making a modest income, living, getting by. And his good friend Murray, who is played in the film by Mr. Woody Allen, amazingly, amazingly, he did a good job. Uh, but also yeah. the fact that oh. he was in it acting, at all. Yeah, uh, yeah, acting in somebody else's film. Yeah, I think it was definitely a favor for his buddy John Turturro. Absolutely, and uh, and he plays. Uh, Fioravante's friend Murray, who owns an old rare bookshop that at the beginning of the film we see is closing down. And so in a sort of attempt to find additional cash now that his bookshop is closed, uh, he proposes to Fioravante that he become a gigolo Mm -hmm. and that Murray will basically become his pimp and sort of uh, he'll find clients for him, women who need that companionship, who need that sort of uh, touch of a man the gentle, in their lives. The gentle touch, the, yeah. The gentle touch of, of Fioravante, who is at various times in the film uh, talked about as being like a, a real man. Like he's not a beautiful man. He's not a he's, – he's a unique-looking man, which is very true of John Turturro. Mm-hmm. Uh, and – but how there's something very manly about him just sort of being confident in his himself. And that yeah. sort of is the the root of his sexiness and his sex appeal, which all of these women seem to go crazy for. And the kind of event that the movie is centered around is the idea that these two women have decided that they want to have a menage a trois and they want to bring Murray in on that. I mean, they want to bring they tell Murray about mm-hmm. it. Yeah. And he wants to bring Fioravante in to be that third party in the menage a trois right. that's those two women are played by sharon stone and sofia vergata yeah and that whole sort of setup is 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 how the film begins the first thing we see of uh, john tertro's character he's sort of pruning an orchid and and uh, murray is there talking about how he met somebody who's interested in a menage a trois and mm-hmm. murray immediately thought of uh, fioravante and uh and i yes this is definitely um if you if you were sort of questioning why Murray would be you know going about this, it seems to be his best shot at making money um, by right. pimping out Fioravante. And I don't know how sort of what the longevity of this scheme was is intended to be, or, or if this sort of is just like a one-off with this um, this menage a trois. Well, it's clear that they ha- he immediately goes to work finding other clients. So it's not it's clearly a something he would like to pursue as a potential stream of revenue. True, yeah. Um, And it should be said that there is a parallel story going on in this film about this uh, woman named Abigail who lives in a a very Orthodox Jewish neighborhood, belongs to that community. Mm -hmm. And uh, her husband died, I think, three years ago, they say, in the film. Yeah. And she has not been with a man since and... uh, in she sort of gets picked up as a client but not in the conventional sense meaning that she's not there to have sex right they don't actually do it but it she she and and Fioravante kind of have this very human connection and that becomes sort of the uh the through line for the film yeah that's right they have kind of a the relationship extends beyond sex it's it's something more meaningful something more long lasting that they want to continue um, exactly. Yeah, I, but what should I, I? I guess my question, Phil, is: This is such a seemingly 
benign film. Why do you hate it so much? I just thought that it was lame, and I've and I've used that before. I just thought that the film was kind of a. It was so benign, maybe that I felt like it said really nothing, and it was, and it was. It it didn't. I also kind of felt a little bit, sort of. Um, uneasy with the this character of Furivante who who you know seems to just kind of glide from you know tending flowers immediately into sort of you know seducing women and um I couldn't help but sort of think that this was a bit of a vanity project for John Torturo and he was mm. kind of making me complicit in his fantasy which is something maybe that has been just dating for a while um and uh, I don't know. I just thought that it was, yeah. I mean, benign maybe is is the term for me because it 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 just did not take a position really uh, on very much at all, and uh, and it kind of left me thinking. Well, what was the point of that? Like, what was what what was there to gain from watching this kind of extremely low key sort of almost undramatic story where like there was not much of a there was not really a a plot. You know that I was I was missing that. Um, I mean, the, the, you know, you could say the story was that he was going on these adventures with these women and trying to sort of make money for Murray. Um, and the sense of humor that was throughout the film was, was just kind of I just thought it was really unfunny. You know. You know what this film is from my perspective. What is it, Andrew? It's a it's an utterly New York film. Well, it's like a New York film made by a New Yorker for a New York audience in the hopes that they will yeah, find so much to love about just the atmosphere of it and the and the sort of, you know, the the lives that the people the day-to-day lives that these people are living that uh they'll just recognize enough in that that world that they'll be like, "Oh, New York." Oh, God, yeah. Love well, there's it. a whole there's ah, a whole the sort of ah. there's a subculture of the Hasidic community in the film too. And for somebody who's not a uh, a New Yorker, much such as myself, uh, the first appearance of Lee Schreiber in the film, uh, who is this sort of like neighborhood watch, I believe it's in Williamsburg, Shamrim, Shamrim, yeah, Williamsburg, Shamrim. And like at, when I first saw him, and and he was in like he looked like he was some kind of a squad car, and he backs up to the to where there's a little traffic accident, and I was like, is this? Is this some kind of Hasidic policeman? Like, and I was thinking, is there like, do the Hasidic Jews have their own police force in New York City? Yeah. And this goes to show how I'm so on the outside here. And I think, I think, yeah, I totally understand why you would say, Andrew, that it's a New York film for New Yorkers. And I guess that's why I was thinking it needs to have, it needs to sort of extend its reach further than just that to be a good film, become a more human kind of film, or more, more accessible, more interesting. You know, yeah, more 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 oh, universal I, I, film, maybe. I see where you're coming from. I, I found that a lot of the like sort of great dramatic turns in this film, and especially the kind of climax where uh, they've brought Woody Allen's character Murray into the this sort of tribunal on wh- whether or not he's a good Jew. <laughs> Basically, uh, I'm sure there's probably a term for it. I have no idea what it is. But uh, you know they're they're sitting in judgment on him, and uh, Ab- Abigail is sitting in the next room. Mm-hmm. She comes storming in and gives this speech about 
you know, how it wasn't, you know, it wasn't this guy that was pimping that was the problem. You know, it wasn't any of the sort of culprits. All the, the fingers that they were trying to point were all pointed in the wrong direction. Mm-hmm. The reason that it happened and the reason that she took part in, the, in it and the reason that she was okay with it was because she was lonely. And like that's kind of the the high point. And it, yeah. like, I was like, is that it? Yeah, well. Is that I mean, like, maybe that's enough. Maybe that's enough. But I, I couldn't help but feel like, oh, that was, oh, that was supposed to be our big dramatic moment. Yeah. But it lacked all drama, basically. Well, and that's a testament to the screenwriting and the directing in terms of their, you yeah. know, of the ability of, of John Turturro. I mean, I, I feel like, yeah, maybe with a, a different story, this John Turturro could could maybe create craft a more emotionally compelling film. Um, you know, pulling off writing, directing, and starring is a really nearly impossible thing to do. Stop. Uh, I mean, I, Orson, and, Orson and especially Wells, for Orson Welles did it. He's one of the few people who really pulled it off. Yeah, but he was more. He, his mind was more a director's mind. A lot of actors end up doing these sort of vanity projects, like you said. Mm-hmm. Um, and and they almost invariably end up being less than impressive vanity projects. Yeah, yeah. I, I, they just they just don't end up being really great films. They just sort of fade away into the ether, into the ether. as in <laughs> under the skin. Yeah, <laughs> they fade away into the black ether. Yep. Yeah. Well, I I don't know. I mean, what sort of a crowd did you see this with, Andrew? Because there was like oh. four senior citizens in the theater when I saw it. It was all old people. Yeah. Except for one. There there it was I saw it on Mother's Day. So there was one sort of family that was there together. It was like a son and a father and a mother uh-huh. who were there clearly as a Mother's Day sort of outing. The son couldn't have cared less. He kept checking his phone during the film, which That's what I did too. Infuriated me. <laughs> you would have been infuriated uh, with me too. <laughs> yeah, I would have been. If you pull out your phone at all, I, I turned my phone off. When I go to films, off completely. Like not, I turn it on silent and keep it on. Yeah, I turn it off so I can't check my phone. Well, normally I don't check my phone either, but in this case, <laughs> <laughs> anyway, go ahead. But it it was it was almost entirely uh, old, stereotypical New Yorkers. Uh-huh. <laughs> like just like it couldn't have been more stereotypical. It was pretty great, actually. Cool. Uh, in some ways, but uh, I wish the film had been better. Yeah, I mean, uh, speaking of which, are, is there anything you can find to like about it? <laughs> yeah, sure. I mean, I uh, when I was first seeing the previews for this film, when I saw Woody Allen in it, I was like, Woody Allen acting in a movie? Oh my god! And then I actually, which might be why you suggested <laughs> we go see this. It was for that reason, and it was also because of the uh, Hollywood pap that came out last Friday that I didn't want to see. Uh, I would rather <laughs> test out a movie called Fading Gigolo with Woody Allen in it. Um, anyway, and uh, so Woody Allen was he was very kind of lively in the film. He, you know, he was he was kind of charming at times. What what I most enjoyed about his performance was not so much his wisecracking, because not all the wisecracks really landed for me. I mean, I've definitely yeah. heard them from Woody Allen my whole life. Well, and Woody Allen doing somebody else's shtick isn't really... Yeah. Like, Woody Allen doing Woody Allen 
is pure gold, but Woody Allen doing somebody else's approximation of Woody Allen is not as great. Yeah. And, and, you know, he's, he's like 80 years old now and he doesn't have the same kind of, you know, uh, sort of roles that he used to cast himself in. Um, but what I really actually kind of enjoyed from, from the film and from Woody, especially was at the, it was, I think the last scene when, um, he and Fioravante are in the cafe and there's this, which is right around the corner from my apartment, by the way. Wow. Yeah, I recognized it. I was like, oh, I'm, I actually sat in the exact same booth that they're sitting in in, the, in that scene. Well, that's pretty exciting. That would make yeah. me like the movie better if that happened to me. <laughs> and so there's this young, pretty French girl, kind of like French hipster girl. I mean, this is Williamsburg, right? Yeah. And, no, it's not. It's not? It's the Upper East Side. The Upper yeah, East Side. Manhattan. Oh, okay. So but is that supposed to be in Williamsburg, though? Or is it just a different no. location? No, no, because he's come, he's come to... Uh, they come into Manhattan. Williamsburg is where uh, Woody Allen and Vanessa Paradis live, and John Turturro lives in the city. Okay, all right, I got you. Sorry, I'm not. I'm a out of town. No, yeah, no, I understand. <laughs> As I said, um, <laughs> New York movie for New Yorkers. <laughs> so, so this really pretty French girl is there, and she just starts chatting them up. She just kind of turns around. They start talking to her, and Woody Allen is sort of like. He's putting on the charm, but this time it's in a grandfatherly way. Yeah, like he's yeah. he's talking to her, he's flattering her, he's paying attention to her, he's maintaining eye contact, and he's sort of working working her. But he's at this at this point in the game, Woody Allen is he he knows that uh, his role is not so much to seduce this girl, and in the film, in the context of the story, it's not either. But it was right. it was charming to see Woody Allen kind of be kind of uh, gently flirting in the grandfatherly way with this pretty young woman. Um, it reminded me of, of a friend of mine who is in his 60s now, and he he and I were collaborators on um, some certain film projects that I was working on. And we, we would go out to these restaurants sometimes, and he was always super flirty with the waitresses. And, um, you know, I was kind of sort of a little bit surprised at how, like, forward he was but the girls were always like giggling and always, you know, charmed, and they were clearly not uncomfortable at all. And so I thought that it was it was nice to see that from Woody Allen, um, because, you know, I mean, I think that when you get to be a certain age, you know, you kind of have to accept the fact that you have certain sort of, you know, roles. You're you're no longer going to be the one seducing the twenty year old French girl, uh, but right. you're still able to sort of work work your magic on them in a different way although to be fair john Turturro does kind of seduce her or attempt like in his own well way. john Turturro isn't in his and he's, he's he's probably in his late 50s or his 60s by this point right well that's still like 30 years younger i'm gonna look him up right now i'll tell you but it's still like three times the age of the girl in the movie. John, john Turturro is okay he's 57 yeah 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 <laughs> well no you don't think there's a difference between woody allen and john oh Turturro no no i seducing I, a 20 year old french girl I completely agree. I'm just saying that both of them are <laughs> we are much much older. But, but to be true. honest, like even though I don't think John Turturro is the best looking guy who could have played this role, I do understand why he shouldn't have been. Yeah, I, I for this role, I, I understand exactly. Yeah, why why he had a certain appeal to women. Yeah, um, I could I I yeah. got that, and and I think that it was, but it was interesting to see how he was always. And he only had like a few different encounters with women, but he was always 
totally um, lusted after or desired as soon as he walked in the room. Yeah, yeah. And I, and that yeah. to me was sort of I was thinking like, sure, he's got that kind of a calmness, the kind of sort of gentleness, but the fact that these women were 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 sort of falling over him, um, to me, I was thinking like. It was smacking of a of a, a vanity project on John Tortura's part, an ego trip, if you will. An ego trip. Yeah, yeah. I I can see that. I can see that, and I understand why you would say that. Um, well, did you did you really like the film? I mean, I no no, no not at all. I I didn't really like it. I I just thought it was. I thought it was what I described it as. It's completely benign. It was like a harmless film that had nothing to say, like you said. It, it just didn't have much to say about anything. Um, I think it tried in its own way to say something about sort of love and, and tradition and, yeah, but and kind of this, you know, stuff like that. But it, it didn't really actually forcefully say anything. It just kind of grazed over. Yeah, the grazing over, over. It like, bothered me because at the near the end, you know, there's this scene where uh, Vanessa Paradis is riding in the car with uh, Leif Schreiber. And Leif Schreiber's character is this – we mentioned him earlier – He's like, Incidentally, my favorite thing about the film yeah, no. was his his performance. I thought he was spectacular. I liked him a lot too, and th- I, I like him usually. But I, I thought he was really great in this film. Throughout the film, he's kind of pursuing this girl Abigail, and she seems to be kind of you know pushing him aside. But then in the car, um, it's like she, it, she's like, "Oh, I she's never said like- I never said I didn't love you." And then Liv Schreiber's like, "Oh, hey," and he starts to smile, and then that's the end of the scene. That's like the last we see of them. Yeah, and it and it's, it's it's coming out of nowhere. Nowhere, basically, it's like no other point in the film has she expressed any. And maybe maybe that's because of the tradition. Maybe that's because of the religious dogma that keeps her from. Well, you would know. You're the New Yorker. I mean, I have no idea. <laughs> I thought it was a flaw in the film. I, well, no, I would I would agree that it's a flaw in the film because it did come out of nowhere and it was strange. Um, but, and and then the end. That follows that, which is a scene between John Turturro and Woody Allen and this young French girl, <laughs> it also left everything kind of nebulous. Like it, it just—it was like a weak end. Yeah, it was like the film. Why? That is my main question. Why? Why? Yeah. We only see John Turturro doing a couple things. He tends some flowers and he gigolos. Yeah. What is much what it. is what is really going on with this character? Indeed. Anyway, but um, yeah, so we we both seem to agree that it was an ego trip for John Turturro, um, but then there are certain other things. Andrew was you were talking about like the the rating of the film. Oh yeah, the rating of the film is very confusing to me. This is an R-rated film. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know what the MPAA's. I know that they have those sort of funny ratings these days, um, like you know very very specific ratings, and I don't know what it is. Uh, rated R for some sexual content, language, and brief nudity. Yeah, the brief nudity can't be more than three seconds in the film. Yeah, it's pretty short. It's 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 one shot that is incredibly brief. The language is almost non-existent. Yeah, I mean there really isn't any to speak of. I can't recall and, any actually. And the sexual content is basically just more the idea of people having sex than actually depicting them having sex. Any sex scenes that are in the film are brief and. Yeah, and, and and not not explicit in any way whatsoever. So I thought that this movie, at the worst, should be rated PG thirteen, but I think it just points to that sort of bizarre double standard that the MPAA has. That basically anything that ha- has anything to do with sexuality 
automatically mm. gets bumped up to an R or NC-17 or anything. But you can show the most blood and gore and guts and terrible, horrible things, dismemberments, movies like Hostel and Saw and stuff like that, yeah. which are really explicit in their violence. You can show those all day long and get a PG-13 or an R pretty easily. Not The ones I mentioned are pretty hard Rs, but uh, you, know, you get the idea. So a movie like... Um, 300, Rise of an Empire, which we reviewed not long ago, was rated PG-13, but was... Or no, it was rated R, wasn't it? Yeah, yeah that, that was did really some, gruesome. That had some sexual content yeah. as well, uh, which I would say probably pushed them over the edge more than the brutality in the film. I don't know. I, I, even if you cut out those nude scenes, the sex scenes, I still think escaping with the PG-13 would be pretty unlikely. Yeah. I mean, it was like... Well, that was like a... That was violence as pornography, basically. Yeah, but so definitely the MPA isn't always purely about the content of the film. They definitely have, you know, politics as a factor. Um, just one example that doesn't really have to do with sex, but in Casino, um, Martin Scorsese had some extra scenes that he filmed for the for the actual movie that were extremely violent, with the intention that the MPA would cut those scenes, right, and then right. and then leave the the other violent scenes in the film, which were more important to the story. Um, but what I was thinking about with Fading Gigolo is that it it has an R rating. I mean, I would venture a guess that it's because they wanted to bring in a certain type of crowd to see the film. Maybe. I, I mean, the film is borderline PG-13 R, and I think they kind of went for the R to sort of you know, attract maybe some... Legitimize it, kind of? Legitimize it, maybe as a legitimate, you know, art house film. A serious film, yeah. not a, a film for teenagers, right. And also to bring in, you know, some horny, you know, moviegoers who might think, oh, we're going to get to see Sofia Vergara naked, which unfortunately you do not. <laughs> you do not at all. No. Um, yeah, no, that's, yeah, I that, that's understandable, I guess, but from a marketing perspective. But, uh... I still find it, I think the inconsistencies of the NPAA are infuriating. Just like, just weird. Yeah. Aw. Aw. <laughs> just weird, yeah. Well, you know what's well, really I, weird is the, they get, like as, you, like as you said, they're so specific now uh, with, yeah, with like telling us exactly. Like, I believe... Um, It'll, it'll go down to like one scene of tobacco use or something like that. <laughs> and if, like, you're like, one scene of tobacco use? What This is I'm, dumb. I'm going to call up 300 Rise of an Empire because I remember the the MPA rating is very entertaining. Very, very, yeah, yeah unusual. It's very yeah, sort of verbose. Well, it's it's because of like parents groups and stuff like that that they've started having to do this because parents groups come out and they're like, we need to know exactly what's in this film before we go to see it. Yeah, we can't be bothered to actually do the work of watching the movie and making an informed decision as an adult human being. We need somebody to do our work for us because we're lazy, apathetic morons. So yeah, it's quite a rant. Um, <laughs> but it, 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 parents groups are the worst, you know. And then it's almost like. The people who would take their kids to see a film like that almost wouldn't even bother to look at the ratings anyway. Um, right. Like I, I remember, I, I, I was in New York many years ago, and then we were watching the the reissue of The Exorcist, and there was a baby crying throughout the whole film. I mean, maybe like <laughs> yeah. a toddler, and it was just. I remember thinking, like, "Geez, bad move, bad form, parents." <laughs> but here's the here's yeah. the MPA uh, description for Three Hundred: Rise of an Empire. Rated R for strong, sustained sequences of stylized, bloody violence throughout. 
<laughs> yeah. So yeah, it's uh, it's ridiculous. And then it says a sex scene. <laughs> so it's like, uh huh. Yep. Where's the where's the standard? You know, is the sex scene graphic, orgasmically erotic? Yeah. You know, no, it's just a sex scene. <laughs> yep. Yeah. Well, you can't get too explicit with that, or you're gonna get a whole. The parents' groups are gonna get mad at you for describing too much in your description. That's right. You gotta you gotta put a rating on the web page that has the listing for the MPA well, rating. We, well, we have to know if somebody's fingers got cut off in the film because right. that might be too horrific for my child. That's right. It's like Grand Budapest Hotel, right? <laughs> yeah. Um, so yeah, I think it's safe to say that neither of us were in love with this film by any stretch of the imagination. Yeah. Phil going so far as to say he actually actively hates it. Did I say I hated it? I, uh, before we started, you said, well, well, maybe not. Maybe you alluded, you just said, oh, this is, you said, this is my transcendence (laughs) referring to the way that I felt about transcendence, which was, I hated it. So maybe that was the, that maybe I connected the dots a little bit too, too much. If you, if you follow that analogy, then, then yes, I guess I could say that I hated it. I just, (laughs) but I feel guilty for hating it because it is, as you say, very benign, but I really just thought it was, it was lame. It was a lame excuse for a movie. That's all I got. I just thought it was inconsequential. It just, it's just ephemeral. It's it's nothing. It's nothing. You know, it's like like it's a, it's a fine film. It's a perfectly innocent film to watch, and uh, you may find something to love in it, especially if you're a New Yorker. But yeah, and so people outside um, of that, you know, post on our Facebook page or or on our blog if you really like this film. Let us know what you liked about it. I mean, maybe yeah. there's a certain demographic that me and Andrew aren't covering here that that maybe it's just the kind of movie for you. So come to our Facebook page and let us know. Absolutely, absolutely. Uh, and join us for the next episode when we will be talking about the new release, Godzilla. Godzilla! 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 Which, uh, which is one of those dreaded... Uh, Summer blockbusters. You know, Hollywood pap that you were talking about earlier. <laughs> stuff that you don't want to see. No, but I, I am uh, kind of excited about it. Well, good, because the summer's coming up, buddy, yeah. and we're going to watch some summer movies, right. whether you like it or not. Oh. <laughs> Andrew! Yeah! So, please join us for that episode, which I think will be a lot of fun, uh, whether it's, you know, good in the way that the old Godzilla movies are, or bad in the way that the 1997 Godzilla was. <laughs> Right, yeah, I'm looking. I, or somewhere in between. Maybe it's an entirely different beast altogether. Well, no pun intended. Oh yes, Ouch. that was a good one. But yeah, from what I've seen, it looks like they're doing a pretty good job of kind of building up the the monster rather than just kind of revealing him from the get go, which is a smart way to go about it, I think. Yeah, although they do show him in the trailer, which is kind of disappointing. But oh yeah, well, say lovey. Uh, you you can't win everyone. Yeah. So uh, please join us next time, and thank you so much for joining us. Have a good one.